grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were to ask you generally what you think people are most afraid of, what do you think the top three fears in America would be? Well, what's that? Death, okay, that's, that's a common one. Poverty. Okay, poverty. What's that? Public speaking. Public speaking, yeah. Well, usually uh, the first couple that come to people's head is, well, most people are afraid of public speaking. Uh, people are afraid of heights. Uh, people are afraid of death. And it's true that, that's, that those are common fears that everybody has in common. But when you start to contextualize fear into here and now, the things that you're most often confronted with are not public speaking and probably not heights. Things that you're daily confronted with. So Chapman University does a survey every year of the top fears in America. And the top three fears of this year are a corrupt government, economic collapse, and global warfare. So you see when you contextualize things into what am I actually thinking about the most on a daily basis in America in 2023, it comes to these sorts of items. We're entering into an election year, and you can imagine how people's fears are going to grow as we're working through Daniel and seeing what he's been dealing with, what we're dealing with. You can see there's actually a lot in common. In fact, Daniel had to feel very similar or even worse when he looked at his corrupt government, seeing one king after another do what's wrong, to see the leadership in Babylon conspiring against each other and finally conspiring against Daniel and his friends. When you see the threats they were facing of being cut into pieces or being burned alive or being eaten by lions. When you notice how the shifting global landscape at the time was, was dramatic from the empire of Babylon ruling all the world till overnight that king is deposed and killed and now the Persians have entered in to take over and rule. It was truly a time to be afraid. In chapter 7, you see a shift in how Daniel's writing and speaking and how he's going to explain to you what his fears are. It shifts in chapter 7 from story to vision. So that chapters 1 through 6 we're dealing with stories and we've gone through six of those stories and now we've come to chapter 7 where there's a clear-cut shift in the writing. It shifts to visions. Four visions that follow in the last chapters. These visions are written in what's called apocalyptic style. And apocalyptic style, we talked about at the beginning of our series, is a figurative sort of symbolic language. 
where you use images and pictures to talk about how God is intervening in world events. Symbols in our text that are like beasts and different animals in other places are like a statue with different colors representing different kingdoms. It's trying to pull back the curtain, which is what apocalypse means. It means to pull back the curtain and reveal what's going on in heaven. When God does this, when he pulls back the curtain, and he does it for us too, and we really take a hard look at what's going on in the world, and what's going on in our lives, and what's going on inside us, and he pulls back the curtain to show the heavenly reality, it can be scary. And that's Daniel's reaction. After he sees all this, he says, As for me, Daniel, verse 15, my spirit was within me was anxious, and the visions of my head dreadfully terrified me. So he's greatly troubled. The complexure and his skin has changed. He's, he's frightened by this vision. And these visions can be scary at first. And the things we deal with in this world can be scary. But what God wants to reveal more than anything else is the truth. And those visions of monsters are not the real truth. Their, their power, their threat, their dread... The real truth is the Son of Man, which is the centerpiece of this text, coming on the clouds of glory. But first we have to deal with the monsters that scare us. Despite the efforts of Sesame Street to make monsters cute and lovable, we know that down deep at our core, monsters are not something we want in our lives. No, monsters are bad. And that's what alarms and upsets Daniel. He sees four monsters. They're called beasts in the text. They're not like animals, although they're somewhat like animals, but they're not. They're sort of mutants. They're piecing together different animals, different parts of animals and images to teach us what the kingdoms of this world are like. There's a lion with wings torn off of him. There's a bear attacking with bones gripped in its teeth. There's a leopard that has four heads. And there's this fourth beast, which isn't described in detail, but it's said to be dreadful and more terrifying than all the other ones. Each one is revealing something we don't like. And why is our reaction to this kind of like, you know, do we really need this sermon? Do we really need to look at this text in Daniel 7? Can't we just jump to Bethlehem and, and get to the manger where things are cute again? Well, there's a reason we don't like monsters. It's because God didn't design monsters. The monstrosity of this vision is that these animals are not the animals they're supposed to be. They're deformed. Genesis 1 shows God creating a very good, good world, ordered, established, 
designed and beautiful. And every animal was created according to its kind, to fit into its category, to do its job, and to make this world around us a beautiful place. But what Daniel sees is something that's been deformed, something that's been perverted, corrupted, which is not truly animals, but men, power and kingdoms, evil, violence. That's what scares Daniel, and that's what troubles us because it's not natural. These things are going against God's design. These kingdoms rise up one after the other. And the text says that they come out of the sea. Well, the reason they're pictured coming out of the sea is to show the sea to Daniel and to the Babylonians was a place of chaotic trouble. Uh, A turbulent sea, a stormy sea, a place of chaos. In Genesis chapter 1, it was the sea that was in turmoil until God spoke and his spirit hovered over the waters. And the animals didn't come out of the sea, they came out of the land. God created from the dust of the earth. But these come out of the sea, showing there's something that's just troublesome and disrupting about what they're doing. It's not the way God meant it. And the last one is the worst of all. The last beast, the fourth of them all, isn't actually pictured like an animal. It's kind of left unspoken, but it's said that he devoured, he broke, he stampeded. He had iron teeth and bronze claws. To me, what I hear is something like a dragon. Something like you know, a fearful creature like a dragon with these sharp teeth. And where do we first learn about a dragon-like creature in the Bible? Where is it? Job. Job talks about a dragon-like creature, doesn't he? And then even before Job, Job is thinking even of an earlier image of a dragon-like creature, which was a serpent in Genesis 3. Who is this dragon-like creature now that emerges from the sea? A dominion that continues to support the other beasts that came before him, but then all of a sudden takes over all the other beasts. Who is this beast? What is this kingdom? And why does it keep talking about these horns? So this last creature has horns. There's 10 of them. And those 10 horns then produce one more horn in the middle. And it's a smaller horn, but it's the most boastful. And it's a horn that is speaking things. And they're proud and they're blasphemous. And he's boasting about his power in heaven and on earth. Well, horns are a symbol of might like kings, like an ox that will raise its head up to show you how great he is. Well, these horns are lifting their head up to show you how great they are. And it's the last horn on the fourth beast that troubles Daniel the most. So do the monsters 
in your imagination ever trouble you? Are there images that you can't seem to escape that give you nightmares? Is it in the world around you, a global picture of what the world is coming to? Is it closer to home? Americans are more crippled by fear and anxiety than any other people at any other time in history. We are all filled with fear. Test after test, survey after survey shows it's an epidemic of fear. And the Bible predicts the reason why this happens is because people have lost the truth. They've lost a greater vision for what God is capable of and what God is going to do. And so all they see are these monsters. Everywhere they look are are monsters that are threatening them, that are threatening their survival, that are threatening their future, that are threatening their grandchildren. And Daniel himself is caught up in it. Troubled, anxious, it says. And he's trying to ask what it all means. He approaches one who stands by him and asks the truth concerning all of this. And the truth that he has revealed to him is the Son of Man. There are three songs in the text. So as you go through the vision, as it's telling the story, it breaks three different times into a poem. So three of these songs, each song is supposed to build on the previous one. The first song shows us the Ancient of Days. It says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Now, you don't want to read apocalyptic or even prophecy in strictly chronological sequence. So when it jumps out to this song, it's jumping out of time and showing us the final judgment. But it's showing us the final judgment as if it's happening today for you, right now, happening. Or for Daniel in his day, right then, happening. And it says God is like this ancient figure. He has white hair because of his wisdom. He has white clothing because he's completely pure, and he has fire coming from his throne because he purifies. And when he is seated to make his judgment, he's ready to rule, and everybody's watching. That fourth beast cannot remain silent. And he tries to object from that little horn on his head. He tries to raise an objection to what this God is going to do, God's final ruling, and he's silenced and he's killed and he's destroyed. In the second song, again, we jump out of time, 
And Daniel says, I see another thing, another vision. Now, one with the clouds of heaven came the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away. So now the centerpiece of the text is the Son of Man, and he's coming on a cloud which is like a chariot, riding victorious from war. And he returns to the great king, his father in heaven, and the Ancient of Days gives him the victory crown. He gives him the kingdom. He gives him an everlasting kingdom that will never fail or be taken away. And the most significant thing about this part of the vision is how different this king is than the previous kings. Notice what's different. We had a king like a a lion, a king like a bear, a king like a leopard. And now we have a king like a man. It's bringing us back to the Garden of Eden. The son of Adam, the one that was supposed to fulfill all things. The king that was supposed to be the true ruler of God's creation. And one like a man, because God intended not for these monstrosities to be in charge, but for a human like Adam to rule with truth and peace and justice and mercy which is exactly what Jesus does. He restores humanity. And yet he's still like God. Because the only one who travels on the clouds in the Hebrew scriptures is God. God is the only one who's ever spoken of in the book of Exodus, when he comes in the clouds to lead his people Israel through the wilderness. In the book of Psalms, he rides on the clouds like a chariot, It's only God that rides on the clouds, and now that heavenly power is given to a man. So Jesus is born into this world from above and yet like us. He's human like us in every way. And when he faces the monstrosities of God's design, the beasts, that rule and yet constantly fail. He puts them in his place, in their place. So we read from Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is on trial before the high priest, and they're railing against him to admit that he thinks he's the king, that he thinks he's the Messiah. They're raising all sorts of accusations, In other words, that little horn is boasting. The courts are seated and they're boasting against how this man has tried to make himself king. And Jesus says, uh, the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
And it's those words which mark Jesus' fate. The high priest then condemns him of blasphemy, and he's sent to be crucified. Yes, if we only look at the outward story, we can easily be overcome with fear. We can be worn out from it all. You know, the the world, uh, our lives, media, internet, coworkers, it can just wear us out. Christmas can wear us out. And Daniel keeps wondering, what about the people of God? I mean, it's great that this son of man survived and was victorious and would receive the kingdom, but what about us? So he says, tell us what this all means, and what about that fourth beast? And so the third song, the last part of the vision, is about you. And it takes the very things that were said of Jesus, and now says they are yours. The kingdom that Jesus won is the kingdom that you've won. The power that Jesus wields is the power that you wield. The everlasting victory that Jesus received is the everlasting victory that you receive. The third song is about the people of God. And Daniel now is looking into the distant future. He's looking to your lives. And he's wondering what's going to happen to them. And the one who speaks from heaven admits it's going to be hard. He says that this fourth beast, and I'm not trying to particularly parse out all the details of this prophecy, but just generally speaking, kingdom, 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 and then a fourth. And this fourth one has horns that raise up different kings, ten of them, symbolizing some certain number that God has in mind of kings that will come and kings that will go. And this fourth pompous horn, uh, this last pompous horn, that's wearing you down. And whether we parse out every detail or not, what I'm saying is the devil is trying to wear you out by constantly bombarding you with images, with temptations, with thoughts. He's trying to wear you out. And as he tempts you, and as he gets you to doubt, to be afraid, then he raises up his horn and says, see, they don't trust God. They don't really believe that God is victorious, which means he's not. Because his people are giving up. It in fact says, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. They shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. The sense of being worn out The word there means to harass, to attack, to trouble and persecute. So what are the things that wear you out in 2023? 
at this time of Christmas. Perhaps it's global, the toxic news reports from social media about all the warfare, death, and disturbances. Maybe it's more local, the toxic people that are surrounding you in your life, that are a part of your life, whether you like it or not. Maybe it's personal, the toxic thoughts that you have in your conversations with yourself. And although these can wear us down, even to the point that the devil is changing the situations we're in and trying to convince you he's changing God's word, it says he's limited. For a time, a times, and half a time. And the point of this is not to figure out how many years are going to pass from the time of Daniel to the end of the world. The point of this is to say there's going to be a time where he's showing his power and might. There's going to be times where he's showing his power for an ongoing, seemingly endless amount of time. And then there's going to be half a time where he's cut short. And the devil knows his time is short. That's why he's so worked up right now. If I had to ask you then, what do you think the message of Daniel is? We've been through, what, eight sermons now? What do you think the message of Daniel is? You can not even read the rest of the visions. You could jump to chapter 12 and find out. You don't have to parse out who's the Antichrist. You don't have to parse out how many kings are going to come and go and which world power is going to cause it all to fail. What is the message? And if you've been listening, from Daniel being in exile, to his friends put in a fiery furnace, to him being thrown in the lion's den, to the writing on the wall that tells us all the same thing. God's got this. God is in control. God is king. God knows exactly what's going on. And despite all the outward circumstances that you can see with your eyes, or even what troubles you in your night visions, God is victorious. So live with hope. Live with hope. No matter what. No matter what 2024 brings. No matter what troubles you, never give up on God because he will never give up on you. I'll read the last verses from Daniel chapter 12, which show us the end of it all. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn to the Lord like the stars forever and ever. Blessed is he who waits. Go your way till the end. And you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Amen.